You think for yourself? We like that around here. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. Right now, the subject is baby formula. Uh, I've lived long enough to remember when the scarcity was gasoline. Or how about when there's a natural disaster and the commodities like water and, and basic food and lumber and stuff to rebuild or shore up buildings are in short supply? Well, it's pretty pretty common to have politicians rush in and say, okay, we are going to protect the public from price gouging. Okay, that sounds great. There's a good emotional reaction to that. I'm being protected when somebody could exploit a situation. But what if there's actually a role for so-called price gouging? I know that sounds really, really weird, but we're going to have a provocative conversation about just that right now. I'm Mike Ferguson. Thank you for staying with us here on American Viewpoints. I'm joined now by Christian Bridgekey from uh, Reason Magazine. He's an associate editor. Uh, Christian, first of all, thanks for the uh, time. You've got a really interesting article. Eric Adams' emergency price controls on baby formula will make the city's shortage worse. Now, I want to get into that because obviously the setting right now is there is a shortage of baby formula all over the country. So Mayor Eric Adams comes in and says, hey, just because supply is low and demand is high doesn't mean you get to take advantage of people. And that's how it's being portrayed in the media. So when you say it's going to make the city shortage worse, what do you mean by that? Sure. So I think, uh, you know, Price spikes in response to a sudden shortage, what you know, we derisively call price gouging, they, they serve a couple useful economic functions. Um, and so the first is that they prevent uh, hoarding, right? Uh, so, you know, word gets out that there's a, a shortage. Um, we've seen this with the baby formula shortage where, you know, in mom blog groups or groups on Facebook, you know, people say, you know, that we're running out in the, the grocery store. And so people rush to go, uh, you know, purchase, you know, buy up what available stock there is. And if the prices aren't allowed to rise to reflect the shortage, uh, the existing shortage, then people buy um, more than what they need at the current moment because they're worried about how long the shortage is going to last. And so that's good for them. They can stockpile, but it's bad for the people who get to the store late and find empty shelves. Um, and so what happens when you do have price increases is that people are kind of forced to make that rationing decision themselves and it preserves supply for, you know, everyone coming into the store. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the immediate benefit of price gouging. Um, and then in kind of the intermediate term, it's helpful in that higher prices signal to people, you know, far, farther away from where the shortage is that uh, it's all of a sudden profitable for them to ship supplies to, yeah, where the place is experiencing a shortage. So you see this in natural disasters all the time. And this is what I mentioned in my article is, you know, it's normally not profitable for someone to drive 100 miles to sell ice, right? But uh, if uh, 100 miles away gets hit by a hurricane and all of a sudden the demand for ice skyrockets, then uh, it is actually profitable. And that's a good thing. You want people driving into New Orleans or Houston or wherever has been hit by a natural disaster to sell ice if people need it. So price gouging kind of has those two effects. Uh, it, it, in the short term, it, endorses, it induces people to kind of ration their own consumption. And then in the intermediate term, it encourages uh, suppliers to get into the market and kind of address the shortage. I mentioned that there's an, an emotional uh, appeal to someone saying, we're not going to allow somebody to exploit you just because you have a time of need or a time of emergency. That's got a very real appeal. And everything you just said, somebody may say, okay, well, Christian, well, that makes maybe economic sense, but we like to think that in times of crisis, altruism 
rules the day. Mm -hmm. And we want people to do that. And if you're only going to bring in lumber or ice or food or baby formula because there's a profit to it, well, that's just not the society we want. What's the challenge to that line of thinking? Because I've heard that argument. Sure, absolutely. Um, I, I guess I would just say that, you know, I would, I would focus on the, um, I don't think necessarily that's, that's the wrong way to look at it, but I think you should just focus on the uh, kind of emotional or moral cost of the price gouging itself. Maybe you say it's unfair, but then, you know, it's also unfair to people who have to go without because of this, uh, you know, this rationing that you're basically imposing by not allowing prices to rise. So, you know, it's, you know, someone gets to the store and they have to pay, uh, you know, 15 bucks for a bag of ice or however much people are paying for baby formula now. That does sound unfair. But at the same time, it's also unfair for someone to get to the store and then um, not have any, uh, you know, baby formula available to them. They're in a worse spot materially. And I think that's also should kind of, uh, uh, we should consider that unfair um, and, and injustice too. So I think it kind of works on both sides of the coin. And then to follow that up, there's a lot of people are going to say, wait a minute, but what about the poor? What about the low income or even the, the middle income in, in times like this? They may not be able to afford the, uh, the baby food at all, but those who do have the money, they're going to be able to do it. So the questions over fairness uh, also permeate this discussion. So what's the answer to somebody? Is it just a matter of, uh, yeah, but the market is just, that's the way it works and it's the best of the all the other options? Or is there another answer to the concern about uh, those who are low income and, and uh, can't afford as much anyway? Yeah, so I think that is probably the, the best argument uh, in favor of restrictions on price gouging is that you allow prices to rise, but that those higher prices are obviously not going to be felt equally. Uh, so a uh, lower income person, they might get to the store first, but you know they're not going to be they're not going to be able to pay the inflated prices. Um, I, I, you know, a couple things I would push back on is you know the lower income person maybe they um, they won't be able to pay the inflated prices, but they're not going to win under the the other system of rationing where it just depends on who gets to the store first, right? Um, maybe they, they have less ability to, uh, you know, leave on a, you know, spur of a moment, they have a, you know, they have to be at work, whatever. Um, and so they, they, they're not going to be able to get there first, wait in line for as long, um, to be, to get that, uh, amount of supply. Um, so that would, that would be the first thing that I would say. Um, and then, you know, obviously there is a role for, uh, you know, charity and philanthropy, even in shortages. Um, but, uh, and, you know, that you can see that uh, as helping lower income people. And then I, I, I do want to stress the kind of the, the second order effects of allowing prices to rise is that it induces suppliers to enter the market, which over time reduces prices. Right. So in the short term, prices go up um, and you can see like in the immediate term, that might be bad for lower income people. But um, that those higher prices are a signal to producers to ship supplies where demand is highest that lowers prices. And then you get to a situation where a lower income people can still afford uh, good and the shortage has dissipated. So that's what I would say. We are visiting with Christian Bridgekey from Reason. His article is Eric Adams emergency price controls on baby formula will make the city's shortage worse. And you can find that at Reason. Okay. We're talking about a reaction right now to a, a crisis. I mean, if you are a, a parent and you have a baby who needs formula, this is a crisis. And so we're talking about policies in reaction to that. Are there any baseline changes we should make when it comes to approaching public policy that could help alleviate or prevent these kinds of shortages in the first place, Christian? 
Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, there's a long list of things that, you know, the government has done that are have made this, you know, effectively created this shortage. So the first is that we have these really high tariffs on uh, imported baby formula, which is that after like a, a certain level of imports, these, these really high tariffs that are like $4 per unit uh, kick in, um, which basically make it prohibitively expensive to export baby formula to the United States. Um, on top of that, we also have these, uh, you know, uh, Europe, um, particularly the Netherlands and Germany, their major exporters of baby formula go all over the world. Uh, but the way they label their products doesn't meet with the FDA's approval. And so we're excluding those, um, those, uh, their imports from the U.S. market as well. And not over health or safety issues, but just over, you know, informational labels about how much iron is in the baby formula. Um, so getting rid of that would, you know, both those policies would allow a lot more uh, foreign imports in the United States, which would be great. Um, then on top of that, there's this is a slightly more uh, complex issue, but, um, you know, the biggest buyers of baby formula are state, um, you know, WIC programs, low income, uh, you know, uh, food support and income support for um, uh, lower income mothers. And they, what, uh, how it works is that they basically force, uh, you know, suppliers to sell to the government at below market rates, which governments then do because it's kind of a, they, it's a uh, marketing, um, kind of a marketing strategy by, you know, being the, the main, the sole WIC supplier, they're also the biggest supplier on grocery store shelves. And so they make it up by, they make it up, make up the below market prices that way. Um, and so maybe if we stop that, basically enforcing those companies to subsidize below market baby formula, um, we would have more competition and therefore more supply on grocery store shelves as well. Okay, one more time. The article is called Eric Adams Emergency Price Controls on Baby Formula Will Make the City Shortage Worse. And where do we find that, Christian? And uh, where can we connect with you, either social media or web or wherever else? Yeah, sure. So you can find that at uh, reason.com uh, where all my articles go up. And there's also great content for my colleagues as well. Um, and then you can also find me on uh, social media on uh, Twitter. I'm just Christian Britsky there or Chris, at Christian BRTS. B-R-I-T-S, sorry. All right, uh, Christian, appreciate the conversation because I imagine this caught a lot of people off guard to hear a defense of letting a market work, especially in a crisis situation like that. Really appreciate the perspective. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me on. Glad to talk about it. And you can also connect with me on social media on Twitter. I'm at AVP Radio Show. Thank you for making American Viewpoints part of your weekend. I'm Mike Ferguson, and we will talk to you again next week. And of course, look for the podcast of this and every other segment that we do.